0: Living Corporate is brought to you by Canaries. Let me tell you about Canaries. Canaries is a tech company formed in 2018 by Black founders who experienced inequities in the corporate world like most of us in the workplace. They saw typical diversity initiatives, but knew that to create systemic change, diversity, equity, and inclusion needed to be done differently. They're still ahead of the curve, focusing on the E and the I using a data-driven approach. Think Canary in the Coal Mine, The name is a nod to the canaries coal miners used to bring into mines to determine if the work environment was safe or undesirable. That's what they do for companies. They help you find the folks you need to listen to. The canaries who will help you diagnose, measure, and attack your DEI challenges. Canaries has your back. Check them out at www.canaries.com backslash employer. That's www.canaries.com. K-A-N-A-R-Y-S dot backslash employer. Living Corporate is brought to you by Black Men in Tech. Black Men in Tech's mission is to elevate the voice of Black men in the technology space by offering year round engagement opportunities and philanthropic contributions for people in the Black community, the neighborhood. In the tech industry, Black men regularly struggle to access networking and career advancement opportunities. At Black Men in Tech 2021, they are partnering with their allies to create a safer space where Black men can share their experiences authentically. Through this effort, Black Men in Tech hopes to share knowledge that can be used by Black attendees to overcome race-based obstacles, while also offering non-Black allies the chance to learn how they can be more supportive of their melanated colleagues. To learn more about the Black Men in Tech conference that will be happening on June 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, check them out at Black Men in Tech dot com. That's B-L-K-M-E-N-I-N-T-E-C-H dot com. Black Men in Tech. What's up, y'all? This is Zach Living Corporate, and we're continuing our campaign with Pfizer, right? We got this whole spotlight series we're doing. If you haven't been familiar, you need to go catch up, all right? Click the link in the show notes and learn more about what we've been doing, what we got going on. This is fire. We've been talking to some super dope leaders from Pfizer's corporate office. I want you to make sure that you are aware. So if you're not abreast of everything we got going on, you owe it to yourself to go listen to the last couple of interviews. OK, they have been fire. We've been talking a lot about Pfizer's own work in DEI, like what they're doing internally to like really create and shift change and creating equity and inclusivity for their own employees that are there, as well as how to make sure that they're attracting the talent of the future. And y'all, the talent of the future will be diverse. They will be ethnically diverse, all right? So it's important that if you're an organization and you're trying to think about how to engage those people, how how to really make sure that you are positioned for innovation, that you are looking at your talent pipeline and you're looking for ways to diversify those pipelines, as much as possible, okay? Now, with that being said, today we speak to Myron Terry. Myron is a senior director within Pfizer, um, focused on grassroots efforts, government affairs, policy. And so you know that I asked him a lot of questions and we get into policy and position and the work that he was really able to do and what, he was, what he's been proud to do over the past year his own lived experience. We talk about George Ford. What am I doing? We about to get into the conversation. I'm not giving y'all all the tea right now. Just know it's a fire conversation. I'm excited for our conversation that you're going to listen to soon with myself and Myron. Make sure you click the links in the show notes to learn more about him, learn more about Pfizer, the work that they're doing in the community, in their organization. Before we get to that conversation, though, we're going to tap in with Tristan. See you in a second.
1: What's going on Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, I want to talk to the college students about a few things they can do over summer break to help them in their careers. While I know most students would rather not think about school or work over the summer, it's a great time to handle a few things that can help you long-term in your career. First, take a moment to reflect on the last year. What are some of the strong points? What interests did you develop? What are your priorities now? As we grow, the things we are interested in and want to do shift and change. Summer is a great time to assess if you're on the right path. Take some career assessments, set some short and long-term career goals, and develop a plan on how you will achieve them. Second, take a moment to get some career advice and feedback on your hiring documents like your resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn. Yes, you can make an appointment with a career advisor from your school, typically for free but I'd suggest stepping outside of the career center to seek out a professional career coach, as i found they tend to be more in tune with what's going on in the market, particular industries, and the newest trends. Third, try to gain some experience through seasonal jobs, internships, or volunteer work. We've all seen those entry-level job descriptions that say one to three years of experience needed and thought, well, how am I supposed to get experience if you don't give me a job? Seasonal jobs, internships, and volunteer work are the answer. Each of these can be showcased on your resume and provide you with valuable skills and expertise you can leverage upon graduation. They also begin expanding your network, which is the most significant factor in a job search nowadays. While doing these extra things over the summer may not be ideal, they can have a significant impact on your career journey. If you need some help, make sure to reach out to me. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Layfield Resume or connect with me, Tristan Layfield on LinkedIn.
0: At Living Corporate, we often talk about how we as black folks show up at work and how these corporate power structures impact how we show up. But we know when work ends, we come home, log off and have to show up at home for our families and communities. And as a black man, I often turn to Let's Talk Bruh for the real, honest, and healing conversations on black masculinity, mental health, and patriarchy. Let's Talk Bruh, or LTB, is a platform that creates content around black masculinity and the impact of patriarchy in black communities. In other words, Let's Talk Bruh is having real conversations that black men need to hear and be a part of. Let's Talk Bruh creates interactive, healing, and learning experiences with black men and male socialized folks of all sexual orientations and gender identities. Through their content and community based programs, Let's Talk Bruh seeks to reduce patriarchal violence in our community and provide support to those most impacted by patriarchal violence, specifically black women, girls, femmes, queer, trans, non binary, and gender non conforming people. Tap in at Let's Talk To be clear, that's Let's Talk dot com. So, brothers, what are you waiting for? Let's talk, bro. Myra, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Look, I'm I'm doing okay. You know, like we're in the middle of, uh, you know, not in the middle. I mean, we're coming toward we're 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 progressing through. Hopefully, we are. Hopefully, right, right through this pandemic, and I'm just excited to have the opportunity to talk to uh, members of uh, Pfizer's leadership team about Pfizer, what y'all are doing. Um, this moment. Um, And so look, you know, there's a bunch of different ways we could get started. I'm gonna start by asking you about your journey. What spurred your entry into government relations and
2: and what does that really mean? I've been in government relations most of my adult life. Actually, the way I ended up here was uh, through an internship I had in college. Uh, I went to University of South Carolina, which is in the state capital of South Carolina in Columbia. And during my college sort of experience, I had a chance to work for my state senator. Um, So I worked for him my entire college career and learned a lot about the state senate, ended up getting a job with his office after college, working for a committee for the Senate Finance Committee. Um, Eventually I did that for several years and then became a lobbyist um, and actually advocated for clients um, on their behalf with the state legislature, did that for a while. And then out of the blue, I got a call from a former House member who had just won the election for governor. Wow. And he asked me to come work for him, which I did. And I ended up becoming the deputy chief of staff for legislative affairs for the governor of South Carolina, a guy named Jim Hodges. And that was a great experience. And then from that, I met a young woman at Pfizer, uh, Melissa Bishop Murphy, who was in charge of government relations in the Southeast. She said to me, Pfizer was hiring and might have a new position and I should apply. I did. And the rest is thankfully history.
0: So, you know, that that leads me like really well into the next question, which is, I mean, you you've been in this, this space for several years. You know, what compelled you to join and stay at Pfizer for over 18, nearly 20 years? Like what what's been the pull for you to to join and stay here?
2: Just the short answer is Pfizer has been a great organization to me since the day I started and continues to be. It's sort of a perfect combination. We literally (laughs) save people's lives. You know, so I work for a company that is enhancing and lengthening people's lives. And that has become even more (laughs) true during the pandemic. And, And it's, you know, we're all really proud to be a part of a company that has led the way and hopefully navigating out of this pandemic. So it's been a great experience. I've had multiple experiences and opportunities at Pfizer to participate on different teams, to work hard, be recognized for that, and have a few promotions. And so it's just been overall a very good experience.
0: So, you know, your role, it involves building and coordinating colleague grassroots efforts and advocating with elected officials on key issues important to Pfizer. And it sounds as if this space, and we've talked about this before, and living corporate, it demands a high level of emotional intelligence and self awareness. Like, talk to me about navigating governmental spaces as a black man, especially in this past era where we're talking about we're coming from, you know, different uh, White House administrations. Like, what has that been like over like the last? I just want to zoom in on the last like eighteen months.
2: So here's the challenge, and I'm going to give the answer before I say this. the answer to the question I'm about to pose is no. But the real question is, can you divorce who you genuinely are from the person that you bring to work every day? And again, again, the answer to that is no, because I bring with me all of Myron to work every day. And all of Myron is an African-American man with all those experiences, good and bad. Those are part of who I am. And I bring those with me every day and i think what's happened particularly since the you know the george floyd and the pandemic you know two things i which i think have highlighted some of the challenges um african americans face in the country with the pandemic the disproportionate rate we saw that it had in african american communities and the george floyd that's kind of obvious and so you know emotionally it takes a toll because it's not as simple as just walking into work and i can't kind of pretend that i didn't see the george floyd incident happen as an african american man in the united states like when i saw george floyd and i mean this literally i saw myself as someone and I'll preface by saying i have never committed a crime so i have I've led a crime free life however i've had several negative interactions with police i've had a gun drawn on me by a police officer i've been hit by a police officer when he didn't think That I comply to a demand in a quick enough fashion. And so when I see these incidents on TV, it's like I have a flashback. And so I think for a lot of us, when we, a lot of particularly African-Americans, when you see things like the George Floyd incident, it becomes much more personal. You know, know, as an African-American man, I I have a younger sister who has two teenage sons. And on several occasions over the last year, my sister has called me in the middle of the night in tears. And she's not a paranoid person or, you know, she's, she's, she's very confident, you know, she's out in the world, she and my brother-in-law, etc. cetera. But she just sometimes is overwhelmed with fear. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of us can relate to that. And again, it's really, it's a challenge sometimes to divorce those feelings, from you know when you come to work every day because you know part of my job is i keep up with the news mm-hmm. um and so you watch the news there it is again mm-hmm. there are clearly challenges
0: you know and so it's interesting you talked about you've had guns drawn on you and as have i right as have i i've had guns drawn on me by police when i was 14 years old pointed to my head you know cocked ready to go and you know, i know you you hold those traumas And it's interesting, you know, even to that point, right? Like I recall Myron, you know, I had a job, so I'm a consultant and I was on a particular project. This was some time ago where there was security um, before I got to the elevator. So, you know, you pass security, go to the elevator. I mean, these were police. And so, you know, every day I'm seeing these police, I'm seeing these guns and I'm reminded back to when I almost lost my life some years ago. Right. And it's like, you know, you're carrying that, but you know, you have to you have to compress that down so that you, cause that's like literally right before I get on the elevator to go to work. And so to your whole point around the different experiences and things that we hold and that we carry with us, you know, it's hard to divorce those things. And so with that being said, right, like as you get into work and you're carrying yourself and you're, you're doing your job, you have to build alliances, I would imagine. And, and, and you also have to build some sponsors. Talk to me about what that looks like in your role. What that looks like to build relationships, sponsorships, and alliances with folks that you may have genuine disagreements with, you know, how do you navigate that in this space? It seems I continue to say it, but it just seems fraught with challenge, Myron. When I think about public affairs today, when I think about the last 18 months and just where, like, where we are politically, and I think about like, it seems like you're having to juggle multiple priorities and tensions. And so like, am I overthinking it?
2: No, I think you're exactly right. But here is something that is a little bit extraordinary. Hmm. You know, I grew up in the Deep South. I'm from South Carolina, grew up in South Carolina, et cetera. And it was extraordinary. I've been in New York 11 of those almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. But what has been extraordinary from the first day that I began with Pfizer is I had an immediate community. I had an immediate group Mm. of people that surrounded me and they were proactive in their outreach. And then what they encouraged me, don't wait to come to us when you have a problem. you know. And so what happened in my early career, and I cannot overstate the importance of this, I had a, particularly two or three people who were relentless in their kind of proactive approach engagement to me and one making me feel there was no question that was stupid, I could come to them for anything and they helped me navigate, you know, my professional space. And I think that was, and I don't think, it was absolutely essential to my success and success successes. So that was number one. So I had a small group. I had a larger group of people who were also very supportive of me. And so, and even today I look at the last 18 months and two things that I really, Have to give uh, the enterprise credit for one. We have, you know, our colleague resource group, and I am lucky to be a part of the global Black community, and it's a community one of really smart people. They are really good at the jobs they get paid to do every day at Pfizer, and so they are just a great and inspiring and motivating group of people to be around. Number two, they are people who are genuinely interested in. The success of colleagues, and particularly because it's the global Black community, there's a particular interest in the success of Black colleagues and of Black colleagues within the enterprise. And so I think that is critical. But here is what really puts a bow around it. What I've seen in the last 18 months or so, before I say 18 months, what I've seen at Pfizer post-George Floyd. Is a very aggressive willingness to sit at a table, hear, and be a part of sometimes uncomfortable conversations and figure out a path forward. And there has been great receptivity to feedback, to concerns, to recommendations about what is a path look forward for Pfizer being what it should be for all colleagues. I've got to give the enterprise credit for and our CEO credit for willing to have what I call very likely some very challenging and tough conversations. But we had those and I witnessed those conversations firsthand. But even more importantly than that, they took those conversations and that was converted into action, into specific steps, into a specific plan with tangible, actionable Metric based results. So last summer, we had all these great back and forth conversations with our CEO and our executive leadership team, a lot of those members. And those conversations went from really dynamic conversations to in the fall and ongoing. We now have on paper, and it's been communicated within the enterprise, there's a plan forward. And what the enterprise has said, the enterprise has said, we can and should do better. And this is what we think that looks like. But to put kind of an exclamation point about, around that, I think the enterprise also recognizes it's a dynamic conversation. It's not a static conversation. So we had those great conversations. We've got a target. We're working towards those targets. And let me say, I honestly feel this is not what I think should happen, but I honestly feel if we don't do anything else in the next five years, but what we've said we're going to do, it will be nothing short of remarkable.
0: So that's encouraging because I was going to like my follow up question was going to be, OK, so you had the conversations, cool. And then what are the actions? And I, and I was really I'm glad that you said that. I would imagine considering your role, like your former role in Pfizer, that you appreciate and respect the need for actual policy and process changes.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, again, that's what I go back to. I don't want to sound arrogant, but, you know, Pfizer, we got a lot of friggin smart people that work at Pfizer. We just do. I'm sorry, but we do. Well, I don't apologize. We got a lot of smart people. And a lot of those smart people are on the leadership team for the global Black community. And what I think is such a great part of that title, it's the global Black community, right? And it literally is a community effort. I mean, it's really a group. When they come together, they're really talking about how do we advance, make sure that our membership is properly positioned to make sure they can have the input to the enterprise and the enterprise is recognizing that and able to fully leverage their talents.
0: And so then we touched on it a little bit, but I, I want to go back to it. This whole idea around sponsorship and, and building relationships in the context of your job. Can you give me an example of in your role where alliances and sponsors are critical for you to do what it is you do?
2: So, on a scale from one to ten, I think, and you know, there's a difference between you know mentors, sponsors, et cetera. but I, I kind of want to group that together. So I want to describe it as having people that support you because that takes on, you know, depending on the colleague and the person, it takes on you know it can take different shapes and forms. But I honestly don't think you will really advance if you don't have that community around. you know, and it's a two-way street. I think part of it is as colleagues, we have to try to find those people and cultivate them. But from the enterprise level, at the leadership level, there's got to be an effort to find people to cultivate and grow. So it's, it's a two way street. Um, but for me personally, I talked to you about like there were three people for probably the first two thirds of my career. Who I talked to, one, and I'm not exaggerating, I probably talked to one of those three people at a minimum of once a day. Mm. And that's a lot, you know, and they weren't always phone calls. It might be an email. It might be a text message. But those folks, some of them still today, help me navigate, you know, the enterprise. Because I've been at Pfizer almost 20 years, but I'm not a perfect person. I don't know the answers to all the questions. And sometimes, you know, I want to know like, okay, I've got this project, this new project, or this new challenge, and I want to make sure I'm successful. And so I recognize the value of having more seats at the table. And so I like to go to people, people I can trust, and people who I know are genuinely interested in my success. Mm-hmm. And those people are going to give me honest feedback. And and that's the other key. I'm fortunate, blessed, cursed by people who give me very blunt feedback. Myron, that's not what you want to do. Myron, you should do this. You should have done that. You need to go back, fix this, correct that. So it's not always what I want to hear because sometimes I think I know the best approach and sometimes they make me understand I don't. And so I think that's good. But the other thing where I've seen people make mistakes and advice I would give is you have to be careful and you have to be deliberate of who mentors or sponsors you. You kind of have to watch them. You have to see, does that person have a track record of attaching themselves or allowing people to attach themselves and then that person gets promoted, gets more opportunities, or to make sure you're not aligning with someone who's just, you know, giving you some good words and not necessarily good advice. Because as, as one of my sponsors told me, you need somebody to advocate for you when nobody else is in the room. And that, I just think that is so important. And I feel pretty confident that I've had people that can say positive things about me and my work and my work ethic when I'm not in the room. And I think that's really, really important.
0: No, that's great. That's what I was looking for, Ryan. I appreciate this. So, so let's talk a little bit more about, about Pfizer, about the work that you're doing. As you look back in your space and what you've been personally proud of, of the past 12 months, 12 to 18 months, you know, if you could give me like three things,
2: what would they be? Three things. One, I just spoke to that we were able to take some incredibly challenging conversations with the leadership team of our company and translate those into actionable items that have very strong support of our leadership and I, and I say that because we've seen comments from our CEO we've seen a plan that has been circulated so it's it's kind of out there in the universe so that's done so that's number 1 number 2 is I've seen the results of the work And I've been on this just on the periphery, but I've seen it, I'm so proud to even be a little bit a part of it, is the work we have been and are doing to educate what I consider very vulnerable communities around the pandemic. Because as we've seen, and it's not unique, so let me be very clear, building vaccine confidence is not just an issue for Black communities or communities of color. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the areas that we have been focused on. And I feel really proud of the work we've done in that space. And I genuinely feel we have, going beyond the development with tech of the vaccine, we have literally made a difference in the trajectory of people's ability and access to vaccines and people's ability to have their lives back. Because we did an event just last week on vaccine confidence. And just the questions that were asked. And one, I was so comfortable that people felt so comfortable asking really, really tough questions and questions they were hearing in their respective communities. But we had it, we had the opportunity, Pfizer had the opportunity to be a part of a forum and we were able to share fact based information. And what we were told, and this was a very significant group of people that. We were able to share information that they in turn feel like the groups could share with their respective constituencies, Mm -hmm. and they feel like so somebody else is going to take a vaccine today that probably wouldn't,
0: right? Yeah,
2: so I feel extraordinarily proud in that space, you know. And again, I mean, I could go on the third thing, and this is more so nothing I've done directly, but I've been again on the periphery of that leading up to the pandemic prior to the pandemic. Pfizer was very aggressive in efforts to diversify clinical trials. You know, um, for the same, a lot of the same misconceptions and some truth to why there's vaccine hesitancy, you know, there were concerns about, should we be involved in clinical trials? But, you know, again, pre-COVID, you know, several of my colleagues were very involved in efforts to sort of dispel myths around that. And because of that, when the pandemic hit and when we saw potentially a vaccine on the horizon, the first thing we had to do was build a trial. And because of the work we had done prior, right. we were able to get high numbers, you know, considerably higher numbers of minorities and particularly of black people in the clinical trial. Wow! And so where we are today, because this comes up all the time, and it's like you're, we're able to stick our chest out, at least I am a little bit, when we're asked the question, were there Black people in your trial for this vaccine? We can say yes, we can give the numbers, and we can say that the numbers we've had for this are higher than we usually have in a clinical trial. And so, again, I'm on the periphery, so I'm not trying to claim credit for what some of my extraordinary colleagues have done, but it's something, nevertheless, I wear Pfizer blue, so I'm sticking my chest out about that, too.
0: That's incredible. And, you know, honestly, Myron, I didn't know that y'all had a bunch of Black folks in the trials.
2: No, we did. We did. And I'm doing this off the top of my head, so hopefully after this, I still have a job, but I want to say that number is about 10% which is higher than we have normally had in our trials. And again, you know, so we've got, when we're talking about, you know, the efficacy of our vaccine and people are asking us, you know, about the diversity of the trial and diversity is sort of a broad question, you know, it's about age, it's about race, et cetera. But we are able to sort of say black people were in this trial. And more importantly, or just as importantly, we saw similar results. The black people in the trial saw the same benefits or extraordinarily similar benefits than everybody else that was in the trial. So it's it's really helped as when we've been having these vaccine confidence discussions with a lot of groups. You know,
0: and I love the fact that you brought up two other words too. I do believe that we frame, especially with black and brown communities, you know, consistently talking about vaccine hesitancy without talking about confidence and access i believe misses the mark so i i appreciate you know you bringing up those those two other variables in the, in the in the because the the truth of the matter is is that if i had hesitancy about the vaccine it was because i had issues with being confident in the distributors of vaccine now i have taken uh the pfizer vaccine i've got both doses i'm done i was like about a month ago i'm complete but you know what would have helped and what has helped is me learning more about the process learning more about you know the background how the vaccine was made and i think the other thing is like learning more about COVID too to be honest about just how and and really coming to grips with the seriousness of the virus right it's just, it's a it was a scary thing for me to be honest like you know there was there wasn't anyone in my family who passed away from COVID 19 but uh, i definitely had a cousin who was on a ventilator was knocking on death's door you know it was always like my it was like my friends the family of my friends, everyone else around me was passing away. So it was scary stuff. I'm curious, Myron, You know, as we get out of here, you know, what has it been like for you? We've talked about George Floyd and police brutality and ongoing police brutality, because now we have several other viral instances of Black bodies being brutalized by police. But you know, I'm curious about when we talk about COVID, what was that dynamic like for you being in this pandemic, working at this company that's creating this vaccine? You have family members, you have loved ones. What did that look like for you? And like, were you like a point of information and confidence for your family? Like, what did that look like?
2: So I'm going to be honest. It was tough. It was tough. I live in New York City. So I was at the beginning, you know, we were the epicenter at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think because I work at Pfizer, because I'm able to see a lot of the information that I see, I took this very seriously from day one. Like I kind of, not literally, but almost, locked myself in my apartment. You know, I, I only went out like, you know, I have a bike in the city. I ride my bike. But outside of that, I only really went to the grocery store and the Target. That's how exciting my life was. Right. And that was my life for months and months and months and months. I did not go visit my family. And for the first like four months of the pandemic, I didn't even see anybody that I know because I wouldn't let anyone in my apartment. I didn't go to any of my friends' apartments. So it was tough. It was really tough, and I literally just got back last night from visiting my family, some of my family, for the first time, and it was remarkable, and we laughed over the weekend. We were just saying, look where we were a year ago, mm-hmm. and they were kind of joking, like, thank you, Myron, and thank you, Pfizer, and it's, it's, you know, we were kind of joking, but it was like, it's fairly remarkable because, like, my oldest brother had COVID, and he has some some other conditions and he had a pretty bad case and to be candid we did not expect him to survive Mm. Um, he did Mm. but it was he was in a real bad shape and so and i because of where in my neighborhood there's a hospital in my neighborhood which had a, a mobile morgue outside and so i would walk by and see that so it was emotionally it was a lot and then particularly in New York, seeing the disproportionate rate that it had on Black and brown people. So one, it was a lot generally, and two, it was a lot personally, because it raised my personal fear of the disease. And so it really kind of drove me And that, you know, even my friends kind of were amused at what they said was the over precautions they thought I took. Because I wouldn't go to any like, oh, we're only going to have two or three people over for dinner. I'm like, no. I'm not coming because I don't know if those two or three people, you know, could have COVID. And so, like, I wouldn't do any of those things that some of my friends were doing. So it was a really, really tough year. And then, you know, living in New York, our city really changed. You know, you know, things were closed and are are beginning and haven't really, really reopened. But we're getting there. So it's not, you know, we're getting back there slowly but surely. But it was like for a lot of people, it was a tough year. But I think the world sort of changed when we got, you know, initially, you know, the Pfizer vaccine, got the emergency use authorization and then the subsequent vaccine. So now we just have to get people to get the vaccines in their arms. Um, so we actually have vaccinated people. And then hopefully we'll get back to some semblance of what we used to have.
0: Man, Myron, I just really appreciate this conversation. It's been great. You know, we could chop it up forever. And, you know, it's funny because as we were coordinating this, everyone was talking about you. They were like, yo, Myron is, oh my is great. <laughs> I'm serious. Was like, hey, man,
2: I had to, I had to cash up a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I had to cash up a whole lot of people.
0: Hey, man, I'm gonna slide you my cash up after this. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hey, look, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Last thing before I let you go is you know, if you were to talk to a black and brown person about just like why Pfizer and like, you know, why someone should apply to join Pfizer today, like what would you tell them?
2: Uh, a couple of things. One, say what you will. It's the truth. We're saving people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, you work for a company even pre-COVID. We were doing this pre-COVID. We're getting a lot more credit now. So We it, were doing this pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. We're saving, enhancing people's lives every day. Don't you want to be a part of an enterprise that is doing that? You know, particularly if you're black and brown, you know, your grandmama, your aunties, you know, like growing up, my mother used to take her. you know, where are my pressure pills? You know, mm-hmm. um, then you know, people got the bees and you know, people got sugar. So I grew up, you know, you grow up seeing all of that disproportionately in black and brown communities. And to be a part of that, number one. Number two, I look back on my career. I've had extraordinary opportunities. You know, I've worked really, 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 really hard, but I've been recognized for that. I've been promoted for that. And so it's, it's like the perfect combination. You know, I'm working for a company that is doing extraordinary things and I've been afforded extraordinary opportunities for my hard work. So I think that's what you look for in a career opportunity.
0: Myron, I appreciate you, man. This has been great. I want to thank you again. Shout out to you. Myron Terry, senior director, team leader for of government relations, political action committee, and grassroots.
2: Senior director, of political exchange. Senior director, political outreach, and senior director for government relations for the Great New York City. Ooh! <laughs> Not hey, good, man. the Great, but that—that's a fact. The Great. Come group. on now.
0: <laughs> yeah, put some sauce on it when you when you say it. I appreciate it. I respect it, Myron. All right, we'll talk to you soon, man.
2: All right, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Peace.
0: Living Corporate is brought to you by the Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network. Hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards, the Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Yo, again, shout out to Myron Terry. Shout out to all the work uh, that Pfizer is doing. Really thankful for this campaign. Thankful that we were able to spotlight some of their most incredible leaders. Make sure if you haven't already that you actually click the link in the show notes. All right. Check it out. Explore. Give it a look. All right. Make sure you listen to the past couple interviews. They were fire. Till next time, y'all. It's been Zach. Peace.